Okay, so we're jumping to our, um, our uh, message this morning. And this was last week. We talked about, let's see, we s- this was our main verse, and we're going to share about it again. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when full grown, gives birth to death. And a big part of our conversation last week was how sin gives birth to death, and how at the end of our sin, we see death in our relationship with God, we see death in our relationship with each other, and we see death within our own souls. And until we're convinced that sin does this, it's really just a legalistic obligation or something we, we just commit because we don't understand why it's evil. And so we kind of walk through that. And then we also talked about God's role as we're being tempted, that he's not the one tempting us. He doesn't want to trip us up, but actually he's the one who's faithful. He's the one who caps sin uh, and our temptation so that we can overcome it. He's the one who gives us a way out. But today we're going to really talk about the source of sin in verse 14. Um, and we'll, we'll jump into that later. But first, I want us to think about this one question and again, partner up with one or two people around us quickly and ask, what sin do you do that you, you're not quite sh- that you don't quite understand why you do it? Oh, kind of a Romans 7 twist, okay? Uh, what sin do you do that you don't quite... Uh, understand why you do it. So I'll give you guys uh, three, four minutes to talk about that in your small groups, um, and then we'll continue through the sermon. If you see someone sad and alone, please invite them into your group. Look around first. Okay, go. Check, check, one, two. All right. Uh, You can stop making eye contact with the people next to you and... This is like normal for us. I know if you're new, you're just like, why would you ask questions like this? But um, we, we do that. We, we hope that um, you could experience God kind of where you're at in an authentic way. And the funny thing is like, you know, this, this question isn't for you. It's for everybody, right? Like no one's in this room like can't think of anything. So I think we just want to like, yeah, we just want to come here. Like how do we deal with? Um, our sin? How do we find God in an authentic way? So that's what we're about. Oh, real fast announcement. So uh, we have a congregational meeting right after um, our time here. So we'll take a 10-minute break, and I want to encourage all of you, even if you're new, to stick around. We're actually kind of uh, giving a backbone of renew in the next uh, one, two, three years, and even five to seven years. And this is kind of the first time we'll be putting it out there for you. Um, and so we would love for you to come and, and just kind of hear where we're headed as a community. And so I'm really excited to share about that. Paul's going to share about our finances. Some of you are, yeah, some of you are really, really love numbers. And so for those people, finances. All right. Um, thanks for sharing with each other. We're going to draw an iceberg, which is super fun. So if you could pull out your paper and pen, Go ahead and draw your iceberg, and um, on the top of your iceberg, the 10% part that's kind of sticking out of the water, 
I just want you to go ahead and write the sin that you shared with your neighbor. And um, if you want to write the other sin that you didn't want to share, maybe you can make an initial there of that sin that you're like, ah, oh, it's not socially appropriate. But both of those sins, the sin you shared and the other sin that you didn't share, you guys could go ahead and write that um, on top of the iceberg, okay? Um, you will be sharing later. <laughs> Just FYI. Share your drawings. We'll pick a best drawer. All right, so for me, my sin, I'll just talk as you guys draw. It's, it's not a complicated drawing. Um, wh- I've, I've found that I get frustrated and upset uh, when I'm frustrated or I shut down. So that's the sin I'll be sharing about today. It doesn't sound too vulnerable, but it actually is because it's something I've realized recently through my wife. Um, I've never heard that I get angry easy. I never heard that I'm impatient. But Nina, my beautiful wife, for the last five years has been gently telling me it's true. And for maybe four and a half years, I've been denying it, you know, saying it's not my fault, um, it's your fault sometimes, or, or it's not even true. Um, but, you know, recently she's really uh, spoken that into me, and I've started to own it a little bit. I'm like, oh, I think I do get upset. Um, one time in particular, I was, I was feeling very frustrated as I was driving. Liam and Nina were in the car, and I started driving pretty aggressively. Um, in my own mind, I was safe, but in Nina's mind, she was actually really scared. Um, and I saw that, and it had happened a few times. And that's when I said, hey, there's something in my, there's something, this is something I need to start dealing with. Um, and so for me, that's what we'll, I'll be exploring with you, my own frustration, and then that turns into being upset or angry or, or shutting down. I think the first thing we can do with our sin is we can blame God, right? We could blame other people. We can blame circumstances. If your sin is being judgmental, maybe you're like, it's not my fault. It's this person's fault who's an idiot, you know? Like, I judge people who wear sunglasses in, inside a room. No one's seen that, right? All right, that's my thing, right? If you, if you come into a building and you still have your shades on, uh, like Donna, uh, <laughs> I'll be like hardcore judging you. And, and I will say it's not because of me, it's because of this person who's wearing sunglasses inside a building. Um, and so when we sin, when we mess up, who do we judge or who do we blame? Do we blame God? We talked about that last week, so hopefully we kind of stopped doing that. But maybe we're still blaming, blaming other people. Maybe we're still blaming circumstances. And so on your top right corner, write some things that you blame when you sin. And, and that's kind of like a knee-jerk reflex, right? For me, when I feel frustrated, sometimes I'll blame Nina for not knowing what I needed or preventing me from getting what I want, right? I'll be like, Nina, why didn't you read my mind and do what I was thinking, you know? And I step back. I'm like, that's so ridiculous for me to like blame her, but I still do. Sometimes it feels legitimate, to blame somebody. Um, and, and it does feel like it's their fault. So when we sin in that specific sin, what is it that we immediately look around and say, it's not me, it's all of these other things. And maybe you do that 90% of the time, maybe you do that 50% of the time, 10%, but we all have things that we just kind of feel like are external to us 
that cause us to sin? What are those things? All right, go ahead and write that down. Okay, so what happens here is that we, we need a shift from blaming others to asking for forgiveness. And that's what we've been trained to do as Christians, right? Hey, what's your sin? And how do you come before Jesus, who has died for your sins, who lived a righteous not life to forgive you? And, and that's like the first step into being Christian, and that's what we do every time as we experience sin in our life. We go to Jesus, and we ask for forgiveness. And what I've realized is that when we ask for forgiveness, there is immense things that happen, including our sins being forgiven and us being uh, justified or seen rightly before God. And yet there's a lot of things that doesn't happen. One of the things that doesn't happen in just asking for forgiveness is that we're not really healed, deeply healed, even though we're forgiven. And, and let me tell you that if we were deeply healed, I wouldn't be sinning anymore because I have deeply said sorry for all of my sins, right? Have you? Have you come to the Lord with your sin and say, God, please forgive me, but then the next day or the next week or the next month, you still do it. And so there's, there's a truth there that just because we're forgiven doesn't mean that we're healed, all right? It's a part of healing, but it does, it's not the entirety of it. It's all of being justified um, and forgiveness, but it's not the entirety of being healed. Another thing that happens is that when we just stop here, when all we do with our sin is, Jesus, forgive me, there can be a really dangerous disconnect between our sin and the rest of us, right? Because what I, what I do when I sin a lot of times is, God, forgive me, but then I don't want to examine my sin. I don't want to contemplate on it. I don't want to look at it. I divorce myself from my sin. And now I start living this life of hypocrisy. When I sin, I feel horrible. I say, man, I'm the worst person ever. I'm this, I'm that. I start lashing myself. But then I say, God, forgive me. And all of a sudden, I have this other identity, this other space that I'm operating in where I'm all good, where I am righteous, where I'm a son of God, where I'm a pastor. And I don't know how to pull these two worlds together because both of these worlds exist in my soul. I'm both the sinner and I am a child of the Lord. But when all we do is say, God, forgive me, we build this strong divorce or disconnect. You know, there's a Christian psychologist that calls it that we go all good and all bad, right? We go all bad on ourselves. We're the worst person ever. We ask for forgiveness, and now we're all good. We're a saint. We're a child of God. And we don't know how to hold the tension that our soul has both good and evil. And, that's, and, and I think holding that tension is what brings healing when we allow God to enter deeper um, into that space. And so how do we take a step deeper? The first thing is to say um, from James chapter 1, verse 14, which is the passage we were looking at, it says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So we say we're not blaming 
everything around us. Why? Because our sin doesn't come from them. It comes from our own evil desire. And I know that because when I judge somebody for wearing sunglasses inside, someone else doesn't judge them. So it's not really Donna with sunglasses. It's my own soul, right? Or I look at, um, or maybe one of you guys look at someone and you fall into lust, but another person can look at him or her and not fall into lust. And so the external circumstances doesn't equivocate to our sin. What causes us to sin is our own evil desires. And it says we're dragged away by them. It's actually a fishing term. So if you ever go fishing, which I never do, it's pure illustration. Um, Me and my sister went fishing once, and she caught like five fish, and I just like threw the rod, and I was like, I'm out of here, right? Like, I hate it when my sister beats me at stuff. Um, And um, anyway, so when you fish, uh, hypothetically, you put on a specific kind of bait that appeals to the specific kind of fish you're trying to lure in. So you understand uh, what part of the ocean you're in or what, what fishes are popular in this lake, and then you pinpoint one of them. You put a bait in. You put your line down to a certain um, level in which that fish resides, and then they see it. And that bait might not be appealing to any other fish in that lake. Uh, the, the, the level that bait is dropped might not be seen by any other fish, but you see it. And it's enticing. And you latch on. And it drags you away. And why it drags you away is because there's a desire there for that bait. Right? There are some baits where you have no desire for. You look at someone else, why the heck would you be addicted to gambling? Why the heck would you want alcohol to rule your life? You're looking at them and you're like, you're an idiot, right? Like, why is that even appealing? But then you look at yourself and you're like, oh, geez, if, when that line is being dropped and is that specific bait, you beeline to it, right? Um, because there's a desire in our soul that makes that specific sin uh, appealing, that specific idol appealing. And we have, to desi- we have to understand where our sin comes from and what that desire is. Does that make sense? What makes us sin? Why do we sin? What is in our hearts that makes that sin appealing to us? Um, this word, it says your own evil desire. The word evil, when you look at the Greek, is absent. And so it was superimposed by a translator. It's, it's an evil desire when we sin with it. But the desire itself most of the time is neutral. Most of the time it just comes from a broken place in our heart. And it, it, it's, it, there's this desire, there's this grabbing onto it, but that doesn't mean it's an it's a evil thing. So for me, um, why I struggle with anger and I shut down when I'm frustrated is because my desire is to have control and a voice. I want to control things. And, and you might look at me, you're like, you can't even control your own keys, right? Like, <laughs> you don't know where your keys are. And that's true. But Belinda bought me a tile. I really want to control destiny. I want to have control over my next, uh, my goals, my next step in life, um, my desires. I want to control it, meaning I want to be able to reach out and obtain it. I want a voice that when I speak, I want people to listen. And so you go back and you ask, where, when I look at this sin, 
and I take it and I grab a hold of it, there's something in my soul that's satisfied, at least for a moment. There's something in, in, in what I desire that, that makes me even want to sin. And so what is that? Put that down on your iceberg, right? Uh, what is the desire that causes you to sin? For me, it's control and the voice. And most sin, I think all sin maybe, fall into two major categories, right? The first category of sin is an idol. Um, what that desire causes us to reach out for is the idol, is what we elevate and what we want to grab onto. Um, and, and sin is kind of the shortcut to that idol, or sin is grabbing that desire without God. Um, so for me, and then there's medicating. So sometimes we're not able to get our desire, and we feel upset, frustrated, depressed, and so we just self-medicate. So we actually sin because we're hurting and we're in pain, and those sins are just to numb us. Right? It could be Netflix binging for seasons and seasons. It could be um, you know, trying to get more likes on Facebook or Instagram. It could be uh, drinking ourselves to death. Right? We, I go drinking, and you can tell people who are drinking because they have something that they're trying to uh, stop feeling. It's very, it's very evident to me. And I'm just like, mm, maybe I... Maybe. Anyways. Um, <laughs> some of it's like uh, pornography, right? That's how we numb ourselves. And then there's another category of idolatry. So when we, what are we reaching for? And how is an idolatry? I think f- and I think some of those things can appear really great. So for me, having control, having a voice, that can be me leading this church. That could be me preaching this Sunday. And, and I could preach an amazing sermon, and all of you can say, hey, Wilson, that sermon really touched me. And it's actually me worshiping my idol of having a voice, right? When I lead well, uh, it could actually be me grabbing onto my idol of control. And so your idols don't necessarily have to look evil. It can be good that you pursue without God, just satisfying a desire in your soul. So, so when I think about sin, when I think about desire into sin, I always not always, I try to think about it in two categories. What happens when my desire, when I reach out from this desire and I grab a hold of nothing? Where do I go to to medicate my pain? And when I do grab onto something, what is it? Because it could look really great in front of everyone else, but in my own soul, it's destroying me. It could just look evil, but it's hard to know. Now, when we do this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 comes to mind because it's hard to take our sin and say, this is actually a part of me. It's hard to do that. It's easier to blame. It's easier to divorce and say, God, forgive me. Let's move on. It's hard to dig deep. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18 is such a powerful passage. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When we jump into our soul and start asking these questions, we can easily feel guilty and condemned and ashamed. It's just a part of not divorcing these two things. But what, what John is saying here is that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be condemned. You can take your sin 
after you, after you ask for forgiveness and, and look at it and take a hard look at it. You could put it under a microscope and know that we can do this because God loves us. We don't have to be afraid. We, we don't have to be afraid because there's no more punishment, right? When I look at my sin, I'm like afraid because I'm afraid that somehow God will see more of my sin and punish me. But I can look at it and say, God, you love me as I'm staring at my sin. You love me as I'm going into my desires. And, and when I feel your love in these spaces that I've not seen it before, that's when I can be made whole. That's where that word perfect comes from. I could be made whole in your love. And then I learn how to take these desires and go to you with them, right? God's the only one who can satisfy our desires. None of these other things will fully satisfy us. Trust me, when you reach it and actually grab a hold of it, it will start dissipating in your hands and it will leave you empty. Whether it's um, a boyfriend or girlfriend that you've been dreaming about, whether it's the house that you've designed yourself, whether it's the career, once you get a hold of it, you'll see that you're still lonely. You're still depressed. Um, you still lack the value that God wants to give you. So how do you take your desire? And what's difficult is that this desire, if you want immediately it to be immediately gratified, sin's always there saying, hey, I got you. You want this desire satisfied right now? I'm here. Let's do this. But God has a longer journey for you. And what I've learned to do sometimes is allow this desire to grow because I'm pushing sin away. And I'm saying, God, let this desire continue to grow and let me bring it to you and ask you to satisfy it. What are you hearing about your desire from the Lord? What I hear is him say, let me surrender and trust you, right? What, what I'm saying to the Lord about this desire is let me surrender and trust you in the moments of low control. In terms of voice, you hear me. This is when we need to know the Bible, but also let the Bible speak directly into our souls. What is God saying about your desire and how he wants to fulfill it? How you can reach for him and grab a hold of him. And if you are convinced that your desire cannot be satisfied in the Lord, you have no option but to go to an idol. You have no option but to run to a sin. So we need to pave the road. We need to understand how does our desire, how can our desire be gripped onto Jesus and say, only you, God, only you have the words of life. And some of it's done in communities. Does anyone else have this desire and have found Jesus here to some degree? Can you show that to me? But we're not the answer. It's still pointing to Jesus. Can we take a minute just to ask God, how can he satisfy this desire? And maybe you're just going to write, I'm not sure. And I need, to, I need to read more and ask more and pray more.
give you guys a second to fill out where your de- where your what your desire is for the sin. What is God saying about how He can satisfy it? You know, maybe you, you, you're looking for value. At the end of the day, you sin because you want to be valued. And you need God to just speak value into your life, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made, that you're his son, you're his daughter. Maybe at the depths of your uh, desire, you, you're, you just don't want to be alone. And you need to hear that nothing can separate you from God's love. Neither height nor death, angels nor demons. Nothing in all creation can separate you. That the psalm David said, like, not even, even dark, I, where can I go to hide from you? Even darkness is as light to you. How can we find God in our desires? This last part, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to get here. It's going to take a lot of, like, sitting at the beach, talking to the Lord, not being scared. But there, under our desire is a formation of ourself and the desire itself. And I would say that I'm still exploring this. And again, this feels tender to me because after Nina told me I'm easily frustrated, um, that uh, I get angry or I shut down, I did this. I did this just a few weeks ago. I went from my sin and I started exploring my desire and then I started going down to how did this desire even come to be? And usually it's in our childhood. Usually we're formed by our childhood ex- experiences or there's a trauma that kind of reshapes us. And so we're just, we need courage to go there. Going, looking at our sin, going into the desire, and then going into the places of lacking in our childhood it's, those are dark things. Uh, those are dark spaces to be in. We don't, we don't desire to reside in those spaces. But when we really believe that his love casts out fear, what I envision is going back there with Jesus holding my hand and in these dark moments that he's lighting up the room, he's surrounding me with his love, and I can start exploring those places. So for me, I think about uh, lack of control and uh, wanting a voice. And I think about how there were so many things in my childhood that I couldn't obtain or control. Uh, My mom is extremely smart, has a high value for academia, and I failed fifth grade. I I couldn't read or write till fifth grade. Someone corrected like 15 spelling errors I had this week, right, (laughs) on on the Facebook group. So, I mean, I... I wanted so hard to be a good student to please my mom, and I couldn't do it. Um, I remember being at school and wanting friends, and I would literally just follow kids around, like be their shadow, hoping that they would notice me and befriend me. But I can't identify a friend till fifth grade, my, my first year in fifth grade. And then I remember um, having these horrific asthma attacks, um, 
maybe I said dozens, but I think it could be a few hundred asthma attacks when I was a child. And there were nights where I was just grasping for air. And I wasn't sure if I was going to have my next breath. My mom would tell me, like, I didn't know if you could make it. Um, that every time I breathed out, I was uncertain if I could get oxygen back into my lungs. And I realized I have no control of even, my, even being able to stay alive. I couldn't control that. So this desire for control, and especially controlling my future, erupted out of my inability to control friendship, my parents' uh, approval, and even my very next breath. But what I started doing um, is that I just said, God, I know you were there with me. Where were you? Where were you when I couldn't breathe? And I just started rewriting my history in a way that I think is more accurate. And I've not done this very long or for very often, but I just imagined me trying to get air into my lungs every half a second struggling. And Jesus isn't standing away. He's not close with his arms folded. I imagine that every time I breathe out now, he's breathing air back into me. Just like he breathed air into Adam, I believe that in those moments, he was allowing me to take my next breath. I wasn't alone. He was in control. He was with me. You know, when I think about my childhood, trying to get a friend to play with me, I tell people, like, I literally would just walk the yard um, in moments of loneliness and just say, Jesus, would you just hang out with me today? And I would feel his presence with me. If you're willing to go into those spaces, which are very unexplored, you know, our soul is this gigantic map. And we only see parts of it. And to allow the Holy Spirit to take us into other parts that are darker, that shape us, when we understand it, when we see him in it, when we allow these desires to be healed in some ways and to be pushed towards him and others, I think that's where we can find deeper healing. Um, you know, I would love for us to take a few minutes, um, as much as you're willing to, because you might, seriously, you might not know your neighbor, but as much as you're willing to, would you share your iceberg and pray through it with each other, asking God to forgive you, but then asking God to turn your desires towards him. And even maybe there's one or two moments where you're saying, God, help me to see your hand and your presence in those moments that I hadn't seen you before. And I would love for us then to go and take communion together, remembering Jesus, that he was always with us. Even when we didn't know him, he was with us. That he knows that whole iceberg better than us. And we, we are discovering it, but he loved us in the totality of who we are 
even in places where we don't understand or we haven't explored or we're ashamed of, he loves all of us and he died and wants to heal all of us. And that's what we find as we go to the communion table, that Jesus, his body was broken for us. His blood was shed, not just to forgive us, but to heal our very souls, right? It's by his scars we are healed. And I, I hope that for us, I hope that we would do this more often. This is like years of work that we're trying to condense in 30 minutes. I have like 15 icebergs to walk through, <laughs> maybe 100. Um, but we get courage when we know when Jesus died for us, he knew those things. He wants to heal those things. There's nothing hidden from him. So we can hold his hand as we walk into all of these different layers of our lives. God, thank you so much that you're with us even when we sin and you forgive us. That you're with us when our desires are unmet and you say, turn to me. Don't go to broken cisterns that can hold no water. Go to the fountain of life. And you're with us, God, in our worst and darkest memories that form us. You were there already. Help us to see you. Help us to find your healing. In Jesus' name. Man, I just want, Grace will just kind of play piano for like five minutes as the worship team sets up. And uh, I do want us to, I think this is like probably the most powerful moment of service, by the way, not me speaking, but us, if you're willing to share, uh, really share and pray for each other and take communion. I think this is going to be the most uh, important moment of our time together. So if you're willing to, I'd love for you to engage, and then we'll go into worship uh, in five minutes.